So who's nervous that we're going to talk about politics and elections today? Good. Because this is what democracy is all about. Election time angst, anger, and disillusionment. Thank goodness for democracy. So who do we have today? Let's see. Uh, is there anyone who kind of gets amped up in the election season? You kind of love the drama. You love the election tension. Hands up. Anybody loves election season? All right. There's a couple. How many of you can't wait for it to be over? Yeah. How many of you would say, I just can't stand it? You might even use the word hate for election season. I just can't stand being around anyone when the topic of politics comes up. How many of you just get a little bit nervous inside? We do have a mix there. Um, how many of you are going to watch some of the debates? Debates coming up? Good, good, all right. Here's the most personal question that I will ask about this lovely topic. How many of you, don't shout out names or parties, okay? How many of you have already decided who you were going to vote for in either the provincial election or the upcoming municipal election? How many already decided? Interesting. Who thinks that churches and preachers in particular should stay away from all things political? <laughs> we shouldn't even really be talking about this right now. Uh, but you came anyway. So thanks for that. Uh, today what I want to do is I want to, I want to uh, issue a corporate challenge to you. So if, uh, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't follow Jesus, that's not your thing. That's okay. We're glad that you're here and this can be for you. But for those of you um, who are in, I want to tell you about something that you, uh, something that Jesus said that you already agree with. You might not even have known he had said it. Some of you... Um, you think, I've heard it around, but I didn't know where it came from. And you're going to be delighted, just inspired by the fact that Jesus is the one who said this. So there, there's a lot of common ground about what we're going to talk about here. But the challenge is here for believers particularly. I want to challenge you between now and the election season to put your faith in front of your politics. Faith before politics. The faith filter comes up front, the political filter after that. Be a Christ follower first, and then after that, a Green Party, an NDP, a liberal, or a conservative. But only after Christ follower first. So whatever your political views, would you please subjugate them under your faith values, your Christian values. You are a citizen of heaven before you are a citizen of Canada, before you are a citizen of Ontario, before you are a citizen of Stouffville. Let's get our priorities straight, okay? So none of these political parties are going to exist in heaven. They are all entirely irrelevant when you die. Knowing that, they can be managed in a similar way when you're alive. We know this, right? How do we know this? Because there is something that could happen that would make it all completely irrelevant. I've walked with people through some very challenging, hard times. Every pastor has, and honestly, many of you have done the same thing. And I have never once been by a bed in a hospital or a bed at home where someone says to me, hey, Pastor Graham, would you mind? Could you please just read to me a little bit from the Constitution? Then maybe later, if you have time, could you read me a little something from the Charter of Rights and Freedoms? So as, as important as this stuff is, 
right? As important as the political things are, as, as, as much as you get amped up in this kind of season, um, there are things that are bigger. And you know that intuitively. You know that through your heart and you know that through your lifestyle. There are more important things. And at the end of the day, your faith is really more important. And what I'm challenging you to do is to put your faith in front of those politics so that they shape everything and your life is still free to be leading in the direction that you have chosen. Now, what I'm not saying, okay, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an opinion. You should have an opinion. I'm not suggesting that we should all agree. I think that would be foolish. I'm not suggesting that all Christians should vote for a particular candidate or a particular party. But I am challenging you again to put your faith in front of your politics. Now, I've been pastoring long enough that I can guess um, what some people are thinking. And you're thinking, I am so glad that we are going to talk about this because I know so many people who need to hear about this. Really, other people have a lot that they need to learn. And I bet you believe that you kind of, you already have this down, right? You know what's going on. And, and very few of us see this conflict. You, you don't see any conflict between your faith and your politics. You've put them together. You might even argue that the reason that you are what you are, conservative, liberal, NDP, Green Party, the reason that you are that is because you are a Christian. The reason that I vote the way that I do is because of my faith filter. I even left that one party that I used to be voting for so that I could go to this new party because of the growth and development of my faith. So I'm so glad that you're here to tell other people what they need to know about this stuff. When it comes to putting politics uh, and faith together, it's not enough to say the Bible first, politics second. We have learned that that system just does not work. Why? Because no matter where you stand politically, we have already seen it demonstrated that you can find something in the Bible somewhere that's going to support your stance. No matter where you stand politically, you can locate something that supports what you want to believe. You can proof text that, basically anything. And this might be a surprise. It's not even enough to say Jesus first, political party second. Again, because no matter where you stand, you can take something that Jesus said that supports what you want to stand for. Now, when we're looking for a political, a political position, we all want Jesus on our side, at least if we're Christian. But you have to remember, Jesus didn't come to take a side. He didn't come to take a side. He came to take over. And yet again, for some reason, when it comes to political stuff, we all try to reel Jesus in to support our political view, our political system. So for us to try and put the Bible first or even to put Jesus first before the politics, it's just not enough. For us to get this right, and we must get this right, we have the opportunity in the next few months, in the next few elections that are coming up, we're going to get some practice to get this right. And this requires more than just the Bible says or, or even reading what Jesus says. This requires that we actually approach this topic in the way that Jesus approached everything. In other words, to get this right, we need, we must do something that Jesus did. And Jesus did one thing specifically and one thing consistently that modeled the way for all of us. And anyone can do this. This is not complicated. You don't even have to write it down. It's so simple. But at the same time, it's so convicting and it's transformational. 
The way you keep your faith in front of your politics, the way you keep your faith filter first is by putting people first, politics second. Because Jesus was for what was best for people. It's probably one of the first things that you learned if you ever started attending church. Jesus always put what was best for people first. That's our common ground. That's our common ground as citizens. That's our common ground um, as Christians. That's our common ground um, with our Heavenly Father. We can disagree, which we will and which we should. We can disagree on what's best for people, but we can't disagree that what's best for people is what's best. We will not all agree on everything. We will see things differently. Our experiences have shaped us differently. We can debate about which side is best for people, but we cannot debate that what is best for people is what's best. And as you read the Gospels, this becomes so clear. If there's a theme that goes throughout the Gospels, it shows up as Jesus being for what is best for people. And we know that from the, from the most famous verse in the New Testament, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he was for the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He was not paying the price of his life for the planet. He didn't do it for the dirt. He did it for the people of the world. Jesus loved people. Jesus put people first. The thing that frustrated Jesus deeply was that religious people used religious law to hurt the regular folks time and again. And so Jesus would say over and over again, stop it. You've got to stop doing that. You've got it backwards. God did not create people for the law. He created the law for people. God did not create people for religion. God created the guidelines and the framework of religion for people to be in good relationship with himself. So one day there's a group that comes up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, you're a great teacher. Uh, everybody thinks you're great. You claim to be close to God. So what's most important? Do you remember what Jesus answered these questions? We just talked about this before. New application. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You remember this passage. We just just a couple of weeks ago, but this is a specific real life as we're living this out kind of application. When you read that part there, you can just keep all of that stuff that he just said all hidden inside and say, that's what I am doing. There's no way to evaluate whether or not I'm loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind. There are very few political candidates that want to step up to the microphone and proclaim loudly and clearly that they are completely disinterested in God. They're disinterested in what God wants. They dodge those kind of questions all day long. And they like to imply or state that matters of faith are simply personal, not to be interfered with. My private faith is wonderful. Sure, I respect God. How can you dispute whether someone loves God in their mind, in their soul, and in their heart. There's a lot of wiggle room built into that. You could do a lot of things under that broad umbrella, and a lot of things have been done under that broad umbrella. But Jesus didn't even pause when he was saying that. The very next word out of his mouth is, and. You remember this. And the second is like it. I'm not finished yet. Just hold your horses. That's not all. The most important thing is to love God with everything in you. 
And the second is like it. The second is equivalent. The second is on the same level. The second is just as important as the first. Even if you don't go to church, you have probably heard this line. You might not have known that it was from Jesus, but it was. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It would have been so much easier if you could just stop with love God. I could just love God on the inside. And then I could just treat my neighbor the way my neighbor deserves to be treated, right? Or maybe I could treat my neighbor the way my neighbor treats me. Or maybe I could start to treat my neighbor's kid just like my... Jesus says no to all of that. And let me tell you what's most important. It's most important that you love God on the inside. And you demonstrate that on the outside. So how do you demonstrate it on the outside? Church attendance? No. Too much wiggle room. You demonstrate your love for God, heart, soul, mind, by the way that you treat other people. Because what's most important to people is people. We may debate what's best for people, but we dare not as Christians, debate that what's best is what's best for people. Verse 40, all the law, 600 plus laws that we're talking about here, all the law and all the prophets, everything the prophets said, hang, that is they hinge, they are contingent upon these two commandments. Everything else in scripture that has, was written at that point and was yet to be written still hinge on that point. This is Jesus' way of saying, if you miss every other day that I'm teaching, if you're, if you're never able to read or open the scriptures yourself, if you, if you never ever remember another thing that I say, the most important thing is to love God and to demonstrate your love, not by the way you treat God. Too many loopholes. Too much hidden wiggle room. You demonstrate the way that you love God by the way that you treat the people God created. The way that you treat the people made in the image of God. That's a reflection of your true love for God. If you want to keep your faith in front of your politics, you put people ahead of your politics. It's profoundly simple, right? Just imagine if everyone in Ontario, or even Stouffville, Christian or not, because love your neighbor is sort of innocuous enough that every religion can sort of pick it up. Basically, every religion has or could embrace that value, not just Christians. So imagine if everyone in Ontario or Stouffville, just because those are the next two elections that are coming up, what if everyone decided that I'm going to consistently love my neighbor as myself? I'm going to do for others what I would like others to do for me. If every single person did that between now and the elections, our province and our town would feel different. Most of our laws, many of our laws that we have on the books right now, they'd be irrelevant. You could keep them there. You wouldn't have to get rid of them, but they'd never be tested. They'd never come up. There'd never be a challenge for them. Our region would be completely different. It would almost not matter who the premier or town council was because what would happen in our region culturally would be so different because it all hinges on Jesus was right. It was, it was the hinges there. Love God on the inside and how I treat my neighbor is the display on the outside. It'd be a game changer, and it's so simple, and it's so clear, and at the same time, it's so difficult to think in terms of placing those values ahead of my political views. It's just the way life works, right? 
So switch it up. We'll come back to that in a second. How does this look in your life, right? Your behavior, the way you behave makes perfect sense to you. And if someone asked you, why did you do that? You wouldn't say, I have no idea. Your children's behavior does not make perfect sense to you. But everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to him or perfect sense to her. Every single person you have ever met, every single person you, you, you will meet, everyone you see on television, every person that you've heard about, everybody's behavior makes sense to them. Your political views make sense to you. And if I were to ask you, why would you vote like that? Why did you forward that article? Why are you fundraising for that? Why are you trying to get people on board with that policy decision? You have a reason. Your political views make sense to you. Everybody's political views make sense to him or to her. So why is that important? When you don't know how someone could do such a thing, when you don't know how someone could believe such a thing, when you don't know how someone could support that person, when you don't know how someone could support such a view, when you don't know how in the world, when any of these things come up, do you know what's happening? You are discovering clearly that there is something you don't know. When you run into someone who believes significantly different than you, and you're just blown away by that staggering reality, what is wrong with them? See this. The problem is that there is something that you don't know. And I'm gonna, I know this is going to hurt your ego a little bit, and I'm sorry for that, but better to hurt your ego a little bit and open your eyes to a path to better relationships than to let you go on and think that you're always right. So during this politically charged season, one of the best things that you can do to keep your faith in front of your politics, when you're in the middle of those politically charged conversations or, or you overhear one and your stomach starts to nod up a little bit and you can feel your attitude coming on and you feel like it's just about time to stop minding my own business and it's time to go over there and interject yourself. Or you're beginning to lose respect for someone because how could you? I don't think we can be friends anymore. I just can't be with anybody who would hold that view. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Be a student, not a critic. Because if you are a student and not a critic, you have the opportunity to learn something. You might not want to. And if you don't think that you need to learn something, you need to see that you're arrogant and you're insecure. And there's something in you that you get so amped up in these political seasons, do, that, mm, do you know what that is? That's a you problem. That's not a political problem. In this season, we have to learn. The way that you go forward is to make a decision. I will be a student first, and I will be a critic second. For some of you, that's going to be easy. For some of you, that's really hard. Maybe you need to get some post-it notes, and you start sticking them on your mirror, and on your monitor, and on your meals, and on your mother, and everywhere you go, you have these notes. Jesus' followers should be the most confident, curious, composed, compassionate people in the room, not arrogant, confident. If you are a follower of Jesus, your future is in His hands. Be confident. If you believe that you are a son or daughter of God, Regardless 
of what you have or where you live, be confident. If you believe that your God works in all things together for them that love him, be confident. If you believe that God knows your name, be confident. Confident. Curious. Composed. Compassionate. That doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. That doesn't mean that we don't have a view. That doesn't mean that we don't believe in things passionately. All those things may be true. But in terms of our response and in terms of our demeanor, we have an opportunity. But if, you have, if you're a Jesus follower, you have a responsibility. That's what we've been called to do. That's who we've been called to be. So to make this really, really practical for you, uh, to equip you, I have four questions for pre-election detox, okay? You might not like all of them. In fact, probably guaranteed. You can use one of them. You can use some of them. You can use them all. Um, When you're in an environment where you are at the dinner table, you're with extended family or the people at work or the people at church or the people in your neighborhood, and suddenly politics comes up. Next time you feel your blood pressure rising, you're getting worked up, and you begin to feel dismissive. You just want to walk away and leave those people behind you. You just shake your head. You roll your eyes. Bunch of big dummies. Here are four questions that are designed to help to keep you engaged and allow you to maybe learn something. Perhaps that will set you up also for future influence. So question number one, what led you to that view? What led you to that view? Try it out. Say it out loud together. What led you to that view? What led you to believe that? What has guided you to this position? Why is this important? Well, when we get into a conversation and debate, what we're getting is basically the last sentence of a long discussion. This is my view. This is who I like. This is who I'm voting for. This is what I believe. We're getting the end. We're getting just the caboose. But one of the best ways to move towards understanding is to see the path that has been walked to get where they are now. That will likely be helpful in understanding. Tell me about the process. How did you come to believe this? You have just invited to tell, for someone to tell you part of their story. So I know that you've already figured this out, and so you don't like this question. Why? Because when you get to hear part of the story, when you get to see part of the journey of that other person, it becomes increasingly difficult to dislike that person. When you gather context for someone's view, context for their opinion, when you get context for somebody else's persuasion, you begin to understand. And when you begin to understand, the temperature begins to go down in the room, and we don't want the temperature to go down in the room all the time. Question two, have you always held this view? Have you always voted this way? Have you always thought about it like that? Were you ever on the other side? What happened? What changed your mind? Question three, this is the snarky question, okay? You know, when a conversation has moved sort of past a policy, past ideas, past issues to personalities, If it goes beyond politics, and if you are a Christian, you do realize, and I know up front that you're not going to like this part either, you do realize that in the New Testament, we are instructed not to gossip. And this can apply in political conversations as well. 
Did you know that we have been given direction on what we say? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is part of the direction that comes from behind the idea of not uttering threats or not cursing, don't curse people, or, or even using foul language. Do you know that during the political season, God does not simply remove some instructions or guidelines or principles or rules until after the election? Whew! Now that the election's over, finally we can reinstitute those ways of living together stuff and go back to being at peace with one another. Thank goodness the election's over so we can go back. So when this conversation starts and it's getting outside policies and outside of issues, you can just ask this question. Have you ever met him? Have you ever met her? Do you know him? Do you know her? And of course, they almost always say no. And then you can say, oh, and don't say anything else. Oh, let's get this thing back between the guardrails, okay? Let's not talk about things that are beyond our experience. I don't need to be critical of the other person's ignorance. I just want to bring it back to policy or issues discussion and not on somebody that I've never met. So this is the last question. Um, I get most of my information from the media. How about you? You get most of your information from the media also? Oh, so that means that we are both marginally informed and probably somewhat biased. Fair enough to say that we are probably both wrong, or at least very under-informed. We have to be honest about how much we really know. We have to be really honest about how much we are simply repeating someone else's opinion, which may or may not be well-informed. Now, this is not a dig at the media, okay? It's just the way things work. It just means that for the vast majority of us, we only know what we are told. And there are things that happen all around you that you don't know anything about. So for us to create unnecessary friction relationally around marginal information and limited information is absolutely foolish because it's not about the politician, it's about the relationship between me and the person I'm talking to. So those are four questions to bring the temperature down, questions that are there to, to help you find common ground, to have discussion, to continue to have relationship, questions to slow you down into remembering your real mission, right? Everyone, everywhere, all the time. We remember that we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. Those are the things that guide all of our relationships, first and foremost. And at the end of the day, what matters most is people. So let's try and wrap up this interfering, meddling, intrusive, out-of-my-lane message about a subject that maybe you think should never be spoken of at church. Should you have an opinion? Yes, you should have an opinion. Why not even make it an educated one? Should you argue your point? Sure. When you are in an appropriate setting, go for it. Stand for something. Defend it. Other people need to learn. We need to become more informed. We need to share together. Should you make a point at the expense of influence? Absolutely not. This is so important. If you are not a Christian, this is important. But if you are a Christian and you need to really guard this, Jesus said that you are the light of the world. He said that you are the salt of the earth. We bring hope. We bring preserving and a flavoring quality to living. 
We have been called to influence people because we believe that eternity is at stake. We've been called to influence people to help put families back together. We've been called to influence people so that we will learn and help others to learn to see this world as it really is. We have been called to influence people to experience healing. Sons and daughters back together. Husbands and wives rejoined, finding restitution, resolution, reconciliation, repentance. We have been called and entrusted to do something extraordinarily important. And the only way we do that is through our influence. So please, never, never, never give up influence unnecessarily. Don't give it up with your kids. Don't give it up with your spouse. Don't give it up with your extended family. Don't give it up with people at work or in your neighborhood or people in your church. Never give up influence unnecessarily. And you should never give up your influence over a political issue. Let me tell you why. Because in Canada, follow this all the way with me, okay? Because in Canada, your opinion doesn't even count. It's better than that. Your vote counts. So why would you give up influence between me and you over something that doesn't even matter when you, when you get to go out and vote your conscience and vote your view and vote your opinion and actually make a difference with that. Why would you give up a me and you kind of influence unnecessarily? Jesus taught us this. Just, just never give up your influence unnecessarily. And, and please don't give it up for something that doesn't matter. And your opinion, it's important to you, but your opinion doesn't matter. Your vote counts. How tragic to burn a, a bridge of influence over something that after the election, the temperature is going to come back down all over the place. And now you're going to meet with your neighbor or your friend at work or, or an extended family member, and they have a need or they have questions, and they, now they can't call you. They can't ask you. They can't invite you in because you've lost influence over something that happened in the heat of a moment. It just doesn't seem like a good idea at all. So in these next days, these next months leading up to two elections and then uh, preparing us for the third one that will happen next year, we have the opportunity to showcase our political diversity in a way that honors God who made us so diverse. But the big challenge, the big opportunity, that big showcase will be doing that while living and relating to each other in unity. Living in such a way that the world will know that God loves them and that um, he will manifest, we will manifest the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he prayed repeatedly for unity. Make them into one. Don't be mistaken. Diversity is good. It's not an accident. It's a God-given gift to the world. We live in, in an ongoing uh, faith and trust that he knows what he's doing. And if we get this right, then we will have more influence. If we get this right, then we will all learn something. If we get this right, we will all be able to assist in lowering, lowering the emotional temperature around us. But if we get this wrong, we're just going to be like everybody else. So I want you to be intentional about putting your faith in front of your politics. And the way that we do that is by putting people first. Because conservative, liberal, left, right, you are all precious in his sight. And Jesus loves all the little children in the world. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom that we have to be involved in conversations about governments. We might not always like them or everything that they do, but thank you that you are indeed over and above all of the individuals and the parties that they represent. We are part of the citizenry of heaven, and you are our king. We are ambassadors of your kingdom, living as advocates in another land. We trust you in all things, especially when things don't feel like they are going our way. Aid me to live in earnest pursuit of you, regardless of what is happening around me. Use me to reveal your character and your goodness. Thank you for all those who would step up to serve in the political realm. Bless them and lead them to integrity and to righteous government. Thank you for the way that you can and you will move. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. To the King of the Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. I was enjoying that last part so much that I forgot that we were ending right there, and that was me. So uh, I'm glad that you're here to connect again. And I pray that God will continue to knit our hearts together. As you go, I want to send you out again, reminding you that uh, we're on mission. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. You are uh, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. And it's so easy to forget, and it's so easy to become distracted. But that's why it's important for me to remind you of that, and hopefully that reminder calls you back to what you really want to do. Um, the next two weeks, again, we're going to have uh, the special offering.